This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. It's a very sunny afternoon here in Toronto. Started out still above zero degrees, so we're having a very nice Thursday lead up to Friday, lead up to the weekend. Margaret Weldon is joining me on today's show as well as tomorrow, so she's going to be helping us push open that gateway into the weekend as well. Margaret, how's your day going? You know what? Actually, it's um, it, it's been going okay. It was very busy today. I like to get up early, you know, to go over the script and things. So yeah, we had a bit I've of been, a rush. rush yeah, we time. did. Mm-hmm. We, we did. That's okay though. But I, I've kind of trained myself that okay, well, if I can't get that right away, I'll work on something else and then I'll come back to the script. So I've actually been down in my studio since about six o'clock this morning. But Jeez. you know, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I and, hope and yet, it's I, worth it. Yeah, that's right. Because it's all a build up to these two hours. Yeah, you're exactly. And, and you know what? And and then to there's Kelly. He gets all the good weather days off, eh? He, like I he know. must have some connection or something somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. He plans it. I thought he was going to be, you know, maybe spending this the day a bit sad because of yesterday's uh, loss for Canada in the World FIFA World Cup. But mm, the weather's looking up, so maybe he is too. Anyways, wishing anybody who has a day off uh, or having a good day to join us for the next two hours because we got a lot planned here on the show. Let's tell everybody what's coming up. Susan Kearney, our gardener, she's going to be telling us how she's wrapping up her 2022 gardening experience. Uh, She's going out with a bang, I think. So she's going to tell us what she's been up to. We chat with Krista Washburn, uh, instructor of the Dark Room Ballet, about her work in accessible dance and audio description. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that conversation about performance. Also, Brian Anderson is the director of performance and fun times at Science World. This is in Vancouver, BC. And we're going to talk about what's happening at the Science Center right now. There is a lot going on because it's holiday season family time lots of days off for lots of people and school off as well so uh that's in the second hour you can look forward to that now something that you probably aren't looking forward to is another recall but alas we have to deal with them ford motor company is recalling hundreds of thousands of its suvs worldwide Ford is recalling thousands of SUVs because a cracked fuel injector can spill fuel or leak vapors onto a hot engine and cause fires. The recall covers Bronco Sport and Escape SUVs from model years 2020 through 2023. Ford says it's not recommending that the owners stop driving the vehicles or park them outdoors because fires are rare, says Ford, and generally don't happen when the engines are off. But Ford does say that it's gotten 20 reports of fires, including three that ignited nearby structures. I'm Rita Foley. So I'm not sure if we can just uh, take Ford's word for it, (laughs) that fires are rare and don't really worry about it. Just, uh, you know, 
do your due diligence and uh, get the the next Ford lineup or whatever. I mean, I think that's ridiculous because a we just heard in this clip alone that there were three fires and they set nearby structures um, to flames as well. And then the second thing is that we've been hearing a lot about what's going on with Ford. I think it was me who the last time I was hosting one of these shows. Um, brought up another recall from Ford and something else that was going on. And it was a completely different situation, not yes, the with the engines. It the was, wipers, right? It was yes. with you. Yeah, yes, the windshield right. wipers were going off and there were some other uh, problems happening. And they were like, but, 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 but don't worry about it. We're, we're on it. So just keep going with the products. Uh, the first thing that we hear is that hundreds of thousands of these vehicles are being called back which means there are hundreds of thousands of people who are now reconsidering Ford altogether. But Margaret, because the, the company is huge to begin with, do you think that this actually does make as big of an impact as I'm um, calling it out as? You know what? I, I honestly don't. Um, you know, I think because we're hearing hundreds of thousands, you know, we may think it's a it's a it's an impact. Um, but I I did have my late partner actually had a friend who was a mechanic who worked for a different uh, car plant. And he said a lot of this is just precautionary. Like if they don't mention it and something happens, that's when they could get into trouble. But you know what? Yeah. If it were me, I would certainly take the vehicle in and get it checked. I don't understand how they let these things happen in the first place with all their technology today. Not just Ford, For but sure. any cars. Any cars, any technology, like you said. Um, but also, I feel like there is this slow-burning trust problem that happens, right? When gigantic companies like this screw up just a little too often, um, we and and you know too many of its products, we start feeling like maybe we should maybe the next vehicle, even if this one you're going to keep, maybe the next vehicle's not going to be a Ford. And I think back to Samsung when their batteries were exploding and it was happening on airplanes, it was happening on bedside tables, and that really wrecked Samsung's reputation. Now Samsung's gigantic. We know that. We know they make way more than just cell phones, but it was a problem and it was laughed about, talked about, um, you know, made fun of. And I think it was it's been about a decade maybe, maybe a little less than that, but it's still something that people remember, right? About Actually, the Samsung the, notes. Oh yes, yes, that's true. But actually, I think the biggest car scam was uh, when they brought a Volkswagen model out years back now. I think we're going back five or six years now mm -hmm. um, when they tried to say it was the most environmentally friendly car on the market and it was the most safest car. And it turned out the environmentally friendly part turned out to be a scam. But I think what concerns me today, Ramya, is and I don't know if you hear it on the car commercials, you know, they say we can deliver a car, you know, that's custom built for you right to your home. Right. I'm not sure how safe that is. I'm not sure either. about that. <laughs> I think I'd rather you make it for everybody and then we can all keep an eye on it together. That's right. Yeah. 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 Cars are pretty big. We don't want to be screwing around. 
Uh, hey, we all know that it's American Thanksgiving today, so all our friends to the South who are celebrating, recognizing, and, and hanging out with family and friends, hope you're having a good time. A crowd of spectators lined the streets of New York City this morning as colorful, high-flying balloons helped usher in the holiday season at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And WBC-TV's uh, reporter, Janice Yu, was along that parade route and said that some new faces were expected on the route. There's some new balloons in the lineup this year. There's Bluey, the lovable dog, uh, as well as Stryker, and that's a, a soccer star for the U.S. men's soccer team playing in the World Cup. And Stewart, the biggest minion on the block, will be making an appearance as well. And, of course, the old-fashioned favorites will be here, like the Smurfs, as well as SpongeBob SquarePants. So cool. Expected guest celebrities as well to be part of the festivities included singer Joss Stone, Jordan Sparks, Betty Who, and many more. So everyone celebrating today, uh, right before Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the weekend chaos begins. But I do hope that people are getting some relaxation time. And hey, if you can't make the parade, it's... The, the clips like this on TV and on radio that make you feel like you're still a part of it. Taking a break and we're back with part two of our iOS security updates with Michael Fair. He's highlighting some advanced features for us to check out on our iPhones. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Company. Welcome back. This is Kelly and Company on AMI-audio with myself, Ramia Amuthan, and Margaret Weldon here on a Thursday. And we've got our usual and typical Thursday lineup along with some very special conversations um, where we get to know some initiatives happening across Canada, actually. So I'm looking forward to all of that. And if you want to take part in the conversations, you can do that by calling us 1-866-509-4545. You can leave us a voicemail there. And if you want us to play your message on air, please give us permission to do that. Also, feedback at ami.ca is our email address. And on Twitter, if you want to find us, uh, if you're still using Twitter, that is, you can check us out. The handle is at AMIAudio. On Thursdays, part of this lineup is some talk about audio entertainment or tech with Michael Fair. And last week, Michael, we started this tour of security features on iOS. And you gave us the basics on your iPhone, uh, things to consider. And today, you're telling us about some of the more advanced features to help us protect our information on the device and online, of course, because a lot of this stuff is now cloud-based. So why should people be using, let's start with this feature, the iCloud keychain? Yeah, the iCloud keychain is essentially uh, keeps all your sort of private information, your passwords. You can put your credit card number. Like It's part of iCloud keychain because it's part of uh, how you're paying Apple. So that's stored in there if you're using a credit card. Uh, and a lot of other information uh, in the cloud, and what this does is it acts like a keychain. It logs you into different sites. So it, it, if you need your, your password on a website, you can, instead of having to type it in every time, you can say log in, log in using this account, you double tap on it, and it will then, you can touch the, uh, use your touch ID, use your face ID, and not have to type in the password. 
So it's a quick way of letting you in, and it's more secure because people won't see you typing in your password or anything. It'll just be there. So that's the idea of it, and it keeps all that information synced between all your devices. And that way, uh, you know, if, if you get a new device, if something happens to your iCloud, your iPhone, and you have to get a new one, uh, or you get an iPad or something, you can use that information that's already in the iCloud keychain, and it'll, it can just be sent to the new device, and you won't have to set it up all, you know, like enter it all again. So it can be very handy for that. So, Michael, then what is the big idea behind pass keys? So pass keys. This is something new. This is from Apple. They just came out with it with this iOS 16. And uh, essentially the idea is that instead of having passwords and using CAPTCHAs to get into sites, you would use your, uh, your image, your, your face ID, or your, your finger, your fingerprint, you know, if you have touch ID. And that biometric proof that you're you would be sufficient. So there's, there'd be a code that's randomly generated when you create the pass key. And, a, and a, another part of the code stored on the site or in the app that supports the, you know, the uh, passkey initiative. And that way, you don't know what that code is, so no one can force it out of you. And the, there's no password to steal or anything like that. So it's, it's much more secure. Uh, and it's, it's a new initiative. It's, it's just uh, been announced, and uh, it's, it's starting to, to be used in, in so far fairly rare places but eventually hopefully it'll be uh it'll be all over the place i'm hoping <laughs> why is it still pretty rare mike and and feeling like it's relatively new why haven't we encountered these in other places yet well it's only been a little time since ios 16 came out which is when they really announced this and now I it's see. kind of similar to what happened with apple pay you know when they brought out apple pay the technology was there it was using the near field communication system in your phone to communicate with nearby pay terminals and things. But it took a while for banks uh, to feel safe enough about the, the, you know, using the system to sort of roll it out. So it, it didn't appear everywhere at once. It took time. I maybe went through the first year before I actually started using uh, Apple Pay uh, out in the world. Uh, so it, this is going to be similar. It's going to be a time period where you know people aren't as sure about it. They're finding out about it. They're deciding whether to support it. And then sort of the mass will grow and people come, will come to realize, because this isn't just Apple. This is a lot of different people. Uh, Google is, is part of this. Uh, everyone in the tech, the big tech giants all want this to catch because it would be so much more secure and uh, you know, make hacking a lot harder. So uh, it, it'll take a while for it to catch on, but hopefully this will. And then we won't have to remember passwords and things. And everyone will just expect that convenience and that'll put more pressure on everyone else to support it and just sort of snowball. So then how can we make our iPhones ready uh, for pass keys? So basically uh, what has to happen, it, you can go into the, uh, your settings, your, your name, your iCloud, and you, you turn on uh, the, uh, the feature. You have to be using iCloud keychain and you want to turn on the feature that says, you know, sync with uh, this, uh, sync this iPhone with other devices. And that way, any of the pass keys that you create, either with your iPhone or other devices, will all be sent and stored in the cloud and on your devices themselves. So that makes it really secure and uh, you know, keeps everything updated. 
and uh, you know makes it so you're ready to just create them. If you want to delete them, you go into the password, uh, the area called in settings called passwords. In that area, you can find the pass keys. You'll be given an opportunity to name them when you create them, and you can always delete them in in the passwords area if you ever need to do that. So you're still in ultimate control of that. That's interesting that that's a, an option to to delete the pass keys, but uh, it makes sense, right? Because we're renewing and changing our app habits all the time. What can we control in the privacy and security area of settings? Let's go there. So, yeah, privacy and security, this is a really big, it's part of Apple's cornerstone of its brand now. They're supposed to be give you the control over all your information. And this is where, in this area of settings, you can uh, give apps permission to access or deny permission uh, even after you've given it at any time. You can change your mind about an app. You can see you know, they can access the location, uh, your microphone, the camera, your contacts. Uh, there's a tracking feature where uh, that's about online tracking. Like if, if apps track you where you go between websites or things like that, uh, that's what the tracking area is all about. And you can have full control over that. Um, there's the camera, of course, the microphone, the networks that you're part of, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, you can just go in and go through and go, okay, I, I, as long as you're happy with apps, give them permission because they need it to do their jobs. Uh, you know, if they can't access the data or the equipment in your phone, they can't help you. So, you know, think about before you deny an app permission, think about, you know, they might really need it, right? So weigh that up. But if you if you don't trust an app anymore for whatever reason, you can deny it permission. So that area will show you what apps uh, have used what in the last while, what, what apps have requested permission to access all the information. So it gives you a complete control over that. What is the safety check feature app, Mike? This is a new thing that they just added, and I deeply applaud this. Basically, what it lets you do is you can go through and at any moment decide uh, that, you know, I'm not in a good situation. I don't trust the people I'm sharing my information with for whatever reason. You can, and this is for anyone like you know, women who are, uh, are maybe in abusive relationships, uh, people being stalked, something like that. Uh, in a situation like that, you can instantly choose to deny people access to all the information, like if they maybe share your iCloud, or you uh, have access to your, your location, if you're a couple, uh, or something like that, you can just decide that it's, it's only going to be from this device. Uh, and I'm cutting everything off now. And there's a, a, re a reset uh, button that you can use to do a quick, uh, an emergency reset. Uh, if you want to be more selective about what information you cut off, you can use the manage option to sort of go through more in a more, you know, systematic way and, and cut off whatever information you no longer wish to share. Uh, there's a quick exit button. If you, if, if the person that might be, you know, threatening you or whatever comes into the room, you don't want them seeing that you're doing, that you're cutting them off, right? So you can quickly exit out of settings. It'll just kick you right out and save any changes you've made until that point. Uh. And then you can get to a safer location. So it's really set up to keep you as safe as possible. And uh, it's very simple to use. It guides you through the process, takes you through step by step. And uh, so if you're ever in that situation where someone might be using the information you're sharing from your iPhone to do you harm, 
you can cut them off. That applies to people, that applies to apps, that applies to devices. Interesting. I I can really appreciate that uh, aspect of the quick exit button because it reminds me of other features from apps like being able to record without people know you're recording. Um, if you're stopped by the police, you know, th- different things that you can implement to uh, record the conversation that that's going on without having anybody suspect you, yeah. right? These things are very important. They're minor details that weigh a lot, Mike. Yeah. And if, if you're into that situation, you could just use the emergency exit, uh, emergency reset button and just cut off instantly so it doesn't share anything and then get to a safe location. And then when you're out of range, you can, you know, decide at a, at a more convenient and safe time, what information to share. But just keep in mind, you know, people are going to notice if you kept, if you cut them off, eventually they're going to notice that. Right. So uh, do keep that in mind when you're making such Mm -hmm. decisions. It's interesting because Apple gives you, so much like they give you so much freedom so much availability and ability to share all this information with everybody but then now what's crucial is that they give you the opportunity to pull out when you're done when you're when you're over it when this isn't working out for you anymore yeah and that's the importance about the privacy and security so what's the app privacy report so that is basically a feature that lets you see what apps have requested access to what you can go in there and see, okay, uh, the health app uh, asked, uh, accessed my information, you know, half an hour ago, or th- things like that, or the watch app maybe accessed something, and it will show you the podcast app, maybe it checked and, and uh, accessed some things like location. The weather app, of course, is always looking to see conditions, and so you see all that, even Apple's own apps, and you can go through the app privacy report and just see what networks uh, apps are being accessed, what domains are being accessed. So it really gives you a, a pretty good overview of what's happening in the background on your device. And then you can decide, you know, if you want to make changes in the rest of the privacy and security based on that report. If you if you think something's not quite right, if you don't trust what an app is accessing, uh, you can uh, you can end that, right? So it, it puts things in, in your control, the report is sort of a good overview. It's it, like to make changes, you have to go to the other areas in the app, uh, the, the privacy and security settings. But the report gives you that full, you know, top down look at this is what's happening, right? And this is what apps are requesting information. So, how is it possible to go overboard with the security features in these settings, Mike? Well, when you get these smartphones, you really have to be okay at some point with sharing information. That's how they do what they do. So if you're not okay with that, get a dumb phone and get a computer or something like that because <laughs> you know these, these devices do what they do to help you by accessing and sharing information with apps and with other things. Like I once had a conversation with someone who was trying to get home. He had didn't want Big Brother knowing where he was, so he disabled location services, which denied his GPS app the ability sure. to tell him where he was. So he couldn't find his way home, you know? And I said, look, you know, you have this GPS app. You should, you know, keep location services on, but turn, you know, disallow the apps you don't want, to, like be selective about it. Because the GPS app needs to know where you are in order to help you, you know? So there's things like that. You can, the health app needs access to the health information to give you any kind of 
sense of how you're doing. So there's all sorts of things like that in ways that if you're not careful, you can just destroy the functionality of your phone by trying to be all totally Fort Knox with your information. So you, you don't want to mm-hmm. do that. Think before you restrict, you know, something really think about, do, should I be doing this? Is it going to like, you can, if parents uh, sometimes have restricted the, the uh, remove the internet, right. And that removes the web browser Safari uh, you can do that. You can decide, I don't want anyone being able to use that app. Well, okay, but if you ever need it and you can't remember the, the four-digit pin code you used to put exactly. in that restriction, you're up a creek. The so interesting thing is putting in restrictions and then not actually realizing where that's going to affect you later, like camera access, microphone access, cool, but now I can't use Ira for my access needs. Exactly, <laughs> Mike, yeah. We got to yeah. let you go, but thank you so much. <laughs> These are wonderful points. We got everywhere today. Yeah, well, you I hope can find have safe holidays. <laughs> Thank you. You can find all of the options discussed today in the settings of your iPhone and similar options on other Apple products. Taking a break, and after that, we're checking in with Gardner Susan Kearney. This is Kelly and Company. Lots of great AMI audio podcasts. Did you put a bet on that's what I would say? I don't know. But anyways, we <laughs> we're just saying there are a lot of great AMI original podcasts for your listening. And because it's all on demand, you can just go and check it out whenever you feel like it. And remember as well, we have some great new video podcast offerings on YouTube, like The Pulse with Juita Gupta and all kinds of other things. So I'll keep you posted as we go through the show. And in the meantime, keep checking out Kelly and Company, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on weekdays here today with myself, Ramya Amuddin and Margaret Weldon. Okay, and right now we've got something interesting happen because it's time for our gardening segment with Susan Kearney. And Susan, we understand today that you're going to tell us about how you're wrapping up your 2022 gardening year in the most interesting way. Yes, it it is it is an interesting garden this year. Um, I I usually keep a record of what I've put in the garden, what has grown, and um, and and how long I keep the garden going. And uh, when it was beautiful and warm, it's it's nice out today. Um, the sun is beautiful, but when it was beautiful and warm about two weeks ago, uh, I got lazy and said, oh, no, I'm just going to leave you geraniums there for a while longer. You look so beautiful. You're still there. Uh, the morning the morning glories were still blooming, um, and I, uh, I did cut down my irises, and I didn't cover them up right away. I did just in time, though. So we'll go back to the geraniums. If it, once it was, um, you know, um, warm, and then we got snow, which was very interesting because my garden looked very, very um, interesting. There was um, geraniums poking up out of the snow, out of the urns, oh. red geraniums <laughs> and orange geraniums, all there. And I thought, oh, you poor things. What have I done to you? Um, my morning glories um, stopped blooming, of course. But there were 
hundreds and hundreds of beautiful big buds, which is interesting because I don't know what will happen um, next spring. Uh, perhaps they won't recede themselves. But I've never had this happen before. Wow. Yeah. So this time around, because we've had conversations with you, you know, late November, early December, yeah. every year now since you've been on the show. So this time around, we always like to ask you, how does it fare to other years? And if it's good or bad or, or how you're feeling about it? Well, I, I think this year um, it it was warmer later. We had some be- like really warm days. Like, um you know, 20 to 22 to 24 degrees, and that was only about two weeks ago, um, not even two weeks ago. Uh, so it was very warm, and things, I, I just left things in the garden because they were they were still going. I, I usually have everything uh, pretty well wrapped up by the end of October, beginning of November. Uh, that's when, you know, we really get a lot of cold, and uh, and and I have things wrapped up. I did not this time. And it'll be interesting to know what will happen. The geraniums, of course, will not come back. Um, sometimes I bring some in um, to overwinter. Uh, this year I did not. So, I, you know, they, they have just died off in the, from the frost and the snow in, into the uh, urns where they were. The morning glories is going, are going to be a different uh, it, I've, I've never left them like that. I usually have them all cut down nicely because they've stopped blooming. This year, they didn't. So I, I left them, and um, yeah, then they got very cold and snowed. And also the same with my palm trees. I usually bring one in because uh, they get very big. I grow them every year, and they get very large out there. They're in pots. And this year I did not. I actually cut um, cuttings from them, and I put them into large pots in um, the uh, in the house in sunny area, sunny locations. As long as they can stay around 75 degrees and get quite a bit of light, I will probably have to give them um, some spectrum light through the winter. But uh, they usually, I hope that they'll do well because I've never done this before either. I've never actually done the cuttings because many of my palms were still green. They're actually very difficult to cut when they're very, um, very green. Um, but it was also very interesting uh, when the palm trees had snow on them. I suspect people that uh, live in areas where there are palm trees all, all year round and then they get snow. Yeah. I suppose they don't think it's amazing. I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> Now, did you do that just to yep. try it out, or was this just sort of, it was this because the snow came was, came on unexpected? Yeah, it it was just because of the weather pattern. Um, being so warm, I as I said, I got kind of, uh, well, lazy, I, I guess, or just, wow, <laughs> this is really neat. I'll just leave, I'll just leave things, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. And then Mother Nature said, oh, I'm going to snow, so there you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it must yeah. be. I'm not sure what kind of emotional takes, uh, emotional toll it takes on people who are very serious about their gardening. But really, like the weather, the up and downs yeah. with the climate, and um, yeah. thinking, okay, it's it's nice today, it's nice today, it's nice tomorrow, it's looking okay, and then boom, um, yeah. a huge 
dramatic shift in temperature uh, can be, and precipitation can be very yeah. overwhelming to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as I said, I've, I've never actually left my garden this this late. Um, yeah. And, only because it's it's it has been be really 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 and even today, um, there's a chill in the air and of course it goes down below zero in the, in in the evening it does get cold, um, but the sun is very strong, uh, very strong for November uh, mid November mid late November, and um, yeah so I'm I'm hoping nothing else grows out there that's I hope I've got most of it out of the ground now. But, you know, it's yeah. funny you should mention stuff like that, Susan, because I, I've heard on a news piece last week that this is happening even with a lot of crops right now, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes. Uh, especially the lettuce, I think, right now. Um, yeah, yes. know, is, I've is... got lettuce coming up. Yes, I do. Yep. You do? The wild lettuce. Yes, it's, it is. It's, um, yeah, it's coming up in my one garden because it, it will reseed itself. And it, I think the kale is probably a little bit – I found some green onions – um, the uh, the other day, I just pu- I just pulled them out. I thought, well, you'll go all mushy in there, so I just pulled them out of the because they were in a pot. Um, my my lettuce and my um, a- and the kale they are in a small like a small um, garden area, yeah, and and they're nice and green until the next snowfall. <laughs> but I wouldn't. Now, do you ever eat there. your own lettuce? Like, like you're saying, you have wild lettuce, right? Do you ever eat your own lettuce? It, and it, kale? It, Oh yes, I do. Yeah, and and why? What I mean by wild lettuce is is that I don't always reseed it. I let it come back, and that's the same with the kale. Uh, it 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 will keep reseeding itself all the time. So uh, yeah, and when it's warm like this, and it's getting a lot of moisture, the sun is warm, and where it is located, you know, that's poking its head. I was going, mm, is this spring? <laughs> so yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, to be a farmer now, would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. bet, and that's what I mean, right? Like with our little balcony and backyard gardens, it's one thing, but that's why when you hear about crops and yeah, uh, yeah. overturning them and all of this, I mean, that's a process. Yeah, it, it, it is, and then something coming, you know, coming up that shouldn't be coming up at this time of year except in the greenhouses which is you know so it, it is an, it is interesting and um yeah, yeah. our weather definitely soil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's all these ripple effects right like with how it affects the soil and the trees oh and yes absolutely this. yep mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, Susan, you know, in in past conversations with you, you've talked about experimenting with this or that or having some plans, uh, some bucket list things to try out next year. So around this time of year, do you already start thinking about that? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I've got my palms. Um, I, I've never actually cut, did cuttings. I've never done cuttings before. Um, I did this year. I'm, I'll see how they work out. And then I'll have um, hopefully several palms. Um, I, I, I like growing them they, in in the backyard. I put them in big pots. Uh, they, you know, they're 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 nice. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that they take. Um, in in I put them into tropical soil, and because where I have them, uh, in the window, not too far from me here, uh, and it's about. 77 degrees in here right now with the sun coming in because of where the window is 
and I'm hoping um, that they will grow. I've actually fertilized them. I usually stop fertilizing a lot of my indoor plants around now, uh, but um, I will fertilize these because they're warm. I want them to take root and, uh, and, and grow. So that is an opposite, opposite thing that I usually do. I don't usually cut them and bring them in. I usually bring one in and uh, save mm-hmm. it. I didn't do that this year, uh, only because it, um, it, they got too big. I, I had one that was almost eight feet tall, so I don't have Ooh. anywhere to put that because I've got a eight-foot-tall banana tree, and if I bring any more <laughs> trees into the house, I think my, my husband... You're going to have to move out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, I will have to move. I will have to find myself a big plant plant room somewhere but uh, it, no, the big palm it, it, didn't come in <laughs> it's funny because you know most couples you know will say if you bring any other pets home or or in a, i guess in another right. situation you know if you bring any tools home you know you're gonna have to find somewhere up but no that not susan she brings too many plants homes so. that's right yeah, yeah. bringing your trees inside there's yeah. literally yeah, no yeah. space for them to live anymore <laughs> so, <laughs> susan do you fine. experiment with that it's fun. It's definitely fun hearing about it. Um, do yeah. you experiment with the fertilizers? I just wanted to key in on that for a second. Um, you um, know, they usually do, usually don't. I'm do you try starting. things out or do you go with what you, yeah? No, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to because I'm just finding that um, we're getting a lot more sunshine than we usually do. My plants are still growing. And anybody that has plants, they'll say, oh, Something is budding that shouldn't be budding this time of year. Um, yes, because the, the sun is stronger. I don't think it's mm-hmm. our imagination. I think it really, really does seem stronger um, than, okay. you know, than m- maybe last year was strong too. But uh, yeah, and the plants, they, they don't know that it's that it's winter that they're to go to sleep if they are getting signals from, um, so, you know, the sun uh, from the yeah. warmth. That they're to grow. That's that's what they do. That's that's in their DNA. So yes, I have started um, giving some of my other plants just to boost them up a little bit because they are growing, which um, is really very interesting. Uh, All right, Susan. Yeah, we're going to have to stop you there for today. But thank you so much for your time and lots of luck with your interesting plants (laughs) over the next while. Good luck. That was Susan Kearney with our gardening segment, and she joins us every other Thursday opposite Fern Lullum. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're talking with Krishna Washburn. She's an instructor at Dark Room Ballet about her work in accessible dancing and audio description for performances. So lots of different angles there when it comes to uh, access and performance. That's after the break here on Kelly and Company. of Kelly and Company coming your way on a Thursday afternoon and just before the show we actually heard today's episode this week's brand new episode of The Pulse on AMI-audio that was at 1.30 Eastern time um, and you can catch it again 8 hours from 1.30 and then 8 hours from there 
sorry, I'm not going to do the math just now. But anyways, go host Joita Gupta uh, talk to author and NYU professor Leona Golden about her new book, Their Plant Eyes. This is available on CELA, by the way, C-E-L-A-Library.ca. Great book. Uh, but she, this is a book about the personal and cultural history of blindness fascinating interview with Joita. You can catch The Pulse on AMI-audio. Also check it out on your favorite podcast platform and hop over to YouTube because there's a video version of that podcast available as well. I'm Ramia Amadhan. Co-hosting with me today is Margaret Weldon. Okay, and Krishna Washburn is the artistic director and sole teacher of Darkroom Ballet. This is a pre-professional course that's designed for the educational needs of um, visually impaired students and people like herself. And she's here to tell us more about that, as well as some other projects that she's been working on. Um, Krishna, thank you for joining us. And perhaps you could start it by telling us exactly what is Darkroom Ballet? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I just wanted to say before I answer that question, you just plugged the book of one of my students, Leona Godin. Oh, so I think that cool. that is just amazing. Um, Darkroom Ballet is an approach to studying dance that is designed specifically for the blind and visually impaired students' educational needs. That means it is designed with like complete description and it fully decenters sight. A lot of it comes from my own work as a blind dancer and blind performer, but also it comes a lot from blind dance traditions that have only really been passed down orally from teacher to student. My courses are always tuition free because I do not believe in uh, education denial to disabled people. It is easy to come and study with me. You go to darkroomballet.com. My next cycle of intro class, which is designed for students who have never studied dance before, will begin January 21st, 2023. It is a scholarship-only program, and it's never too early to apply. Um, I also teach weekly Monday night open-level ballet class for a blind community. We have a lot of blind professionals and pre-professionals who study with me. And I also teach anatomy classes. I call them no-diagram anatomy, Mm -hmm. dancer's anatomy from the inside out. And I also teach audio description as an art form, which is a special series that I do from time to time and which I'm currently teaching at the moment. Okay. Okay, we want to get into all of that in the little time we have. But before before we get into the audio description, and I'm really curious about the anatomy class, let's talk a little bit more about the intro classes, um, your philosophy around, you know, not denying education for people with disabilities. But what can people take away from that class? When you get in there and you complete that series, can you give us a teaser on what you would have learned? Oh, yes. You will basically have learned over the course of those eight weeks all of the fundamental logical movement concepts that makes ballet work as a system of movement. You will have learned how to understand our internal balance point, which is not the same as a sighted person, and Mm -hmm. also learn how to use taped floor technique effectively have initiated that process. 
the taped floor is our replacement for the mirror, and that's the traditional way for blind dancers to study. I would not so have guessed I that. I teach people how to, yeah, that is our mirror, basically. It's what we use instead huh. in order to keep track of orientation and alignment. And it takes time to cultivate that degree of sensitivity in the foot, mm-hmm. but it is something that really, when I got to study with my own blind dance mentor, Mana Hashimoto, and got to really understand how this system works, it really opened up a whole new understanding of how the human body can really master balance, orientation, and movement, and just like this incredible degree of artistic freedom. Mm. Wow. I mean, I didn't even know they used dance. Uh, I didn't even know that, that they used mirrors on the floor or anything like that, so I learned something new every day. But besides... Oh, it's a um, wall mirror. It's a wall mirror that uh, oh, okay. sighted people use to study, yes. Oh, um, okay. But for for us, why would we use that? <laughs> you're, no, you're very right. No, no, you're right. I, I didn't even know mirrors were, were used in that context. Like, I've never had vision, so I didn't oh, yeah. know... Um, yeah, which is which is something new. Okay, so besides using the the tape floor techniques and being the only English uh, speaking uh, program of its kind in this country, what else um, are the classes like? You know, how many people do you teach at a time? Do you have age range groups? Oh, what else can you tell us? I you have to be an adult to come and study in the dark room. You have to be eighteen or older. These are really designed. I like to say that the intro course is designed very much similarly to like a one-semester college course, meaning that we really start from a place assuming that no one has any prior knowledge whatsoever, but we move quickly through concepts. Um, I generally have, you know, for intro classes between like 25 or 35 students, a lot of people Mm. take intro more than once just to kind of like really deeply embed these concepts into their muscle memory. Um, But one of the important features of my class that basically no introductory level class that I know of has is that I have open question and answer time at the end of the class. (laughs) Now you'd think, wouldn't that be one of the most fundamental things to help people actually develop that metacognition and really learn to trust that they understand what they're doing, if they can, how can they do that without actually having direct access to communication with their teacher? So we always have open question and answer time as we're moving through things. Oh, these are virtual only courses, by the way, and my classes tend to be highly international. Um, Everybody's on mute. You listen to my voice in your ear, you listen, you think, you try things. Anything that is unclear, when I say technique class is done, it's question and answer time, that's your time to ask me and say, hey, when I was trying this movement, it felt like this, am I understanding it? That's why I say this is an adult-only class. You really need to have that level of being able to formulate questions and being able to really boldly communicate with the instructor and have, you know, focused rapport. 
But I have students of every age, and a lot of my most extraordinary students are what we would call non-traditionally aged students, people who basically never had an opportunity to study before in a serious way. Um, and I would say they're some of the most focused, concentrated, and extraordinary artists ever. So I never discriminate based on age. Mm -hmm. You know, Krishna, what really fascinates me is this is a thing. Like, this is not just an alternate form, an accessible way of a, you know, an adapted class. Like, you no, came into this it's conversation. Not. It's 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 what it is. And as you said right at the beginning, um, generations and decades and potentially centuries of uh, how did you call it? Like non-visual dancing, right? Like ballet um, being taught for blind people over the years and you communicating this to us uh, so clearly is fascinating to me. So I want to ask you in another way or in other ways that you want to put it, how does dark room ballet challenge these perceptions about what blind and partially sighted dancers can achieve? I think that I have an advantage as a dance educator in that I actually have studied education and I have studied, you know, how human beings learn. Um, most people who teach dance come at it because, you know, they've had an illustrious performing career, but that doesn't actually mean that they know how people learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I come at it really from that approach. My background is actually in elementary ed, believe it or not. But what that really means is that I have that kind of approach, understanding this is somebody who's doing something new that they've never done before and how to actually break that apart. So many sighted professional dancers, they start studying when they're three. That's their first language. They don't even know how they learned anymore, and they definitely would never even understand like what it would mean to take the time to break down movement concepts for someone who's brand new and to use words and language as the primary form of learning. Um, I have found that there is absolutely nothing in the ballet vocabulary that cannot be taught to blind and visually impaired students mm -hmm. so long as I put in that effort to truly deconstruct what it is that I am doing. In a way, I almost feel like the darkroom ballet approach to studying dance is actually the most effective form of studying for any person. But I believe it too I after this very conversation. Proud. <laughs> I am very proud to come from my tradition, very proud to come from the blind tradition of dance. Krishna, we can hear that you, uh, you know, are, are very passionate about your dancing and we hope you'll come back because we have to go for now, but there's so many more questions we have and we thank you for taking the time to join us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me. Next time I'll talk about my movie premiere on December 2nd, telephonefilm.com. Thanks, All guys. Right. Thank you. Thank you.
That was Krishna Washburn talking to us about Darkroom Ballet, the uh, pre-professional classes that are designed for blind and visually impaired people like herself. We have another hour of Kelly and Company ahead, and we're talking to Brian Anderson, Director of Performance and Fun Times at Science World. But after the break, we have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. things coming up around the International Day of Person events and happenings that you could take part in. And this is the sixth International Day of Disabilities of Persons with Disabilities conference being run by the AEBC, the Alliance of uh, Equity for Blind Canadians, empowering ourselves, fighting in this new reality. So December 3rd, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's a virtual Zoom meeting for this particular event. And the goal for this conference is to share messages to motivate, empower, and thrive. Uh, the virtual conference is accessible to all, they say, and it includes ASL interpreters and real-time ca- live captioning. There's a guest speaker, Michael Gatel, who's an accessibility commissioner, and lots of other guest speakers as well. AMI, the fun part now we get to ami is uh broadcasting live with co-host juida gupta and you know her of course from the pulse so you can register now again this is happening 1 p.m to 4 p.m eastern time on saturday december 3rd and you can register you can ask your questions by emailing aebc toronto at gmail.com i think i got that right I'm just going to double check for you. A-E-B-C-T-O-R-O-N-T-O. Yes. A-E-B-C-T-O-R-O-N-T-O at gmail.com for all your inquiries and for the Zoom link and information. And of course, you can tune in to AMI Audio the day of for the broadcast as well. I'm Ramia Amudan here with Margaret Weldon. Margaret, this happens to me all the time. I think I got the emails right and the phone numbers right. And then I read them and I'm like, but just in case, let me do it I, one more I, you time. You know what? I, I feel your I feel your pain. It's like because when you're you're trying to get everything in and you're trying to get it right and your heart is racing and you're going, oh my goodness, what if I forgot? Did I? Did I? Did I? <laughs> and so everybody I know. knows we have a one foot in, one foot out relationship with our screen readers when it comes to reading verbatim. So that's a hundred percent a big part of it. But anyways, Bill Shackleton, I don't know if you have the same woes when it comes to Braille. Bill Shackleton joining us for the buzz here on a Thursday. Billy, is it the same with Braille? Do you read things and then say it out loud and then read over? You know what I find with Braille? The, and and, and uh-huh. I know Braille is sort of um, old school, but I find I can I can get it verbatim if I read it in Braille. If I try to memorize it, um, I don't think so, but I think, re- you know, actually reading it, I find it works for me very well. Okay. But I certainly, I understand why you've got to read email addresses twice because some of them are complicated. Yeah. They're complicated or, you know, it's the jumble, right? When there's no yeah, spacing yeah. or dash or any of that. Of yeah, course. that's right. Oh, yeah. Of course. But and by the way, Braille is not Braille, old school. Braille literacy yeah. lives on. That's right. And then, of course, with Braille, Bill, I don't know if you do it the same way that I do, but, you know, sometimes uh, you've got one hand in one place and one hand in the other, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that's the proper so you have to technique. be careful of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. that's true. 
So, Billy, you brought us some articles to flip through and chat about. I don't know if it'll be as controversial as yesterday with the Lyft drivers and religion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't bring religion to the table, but hey. Yeah. um, (laughs) We'll see. What do you have today? Well, this first one is kind of interesting. Um, The Canadian Pediatric Association um, is changing the goalposts regarding youth and and, 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 uh, preschoolers' Um, use of screen time. Um, They're stressing uh, quality instead of quantity. So basically, and we're going away with, um, we're we're getting rid of the time limits. And I I don't think I agree with that idea. But basically what they're saying is toddlers that are two years old and younger should be limiting their screen time to basically talking to their grandparents. I kind of agree with that. Um, So, Basically, they're saying that two, um, two to five years old, um, you should be basically stressing the quality of time that you're spending with your kids on the screen. And I kind of like this idea. Um, I don't know that I would agree with the limiting the time limits. Um, I think for some cases, um, you know, it's certainly you, you cannot shouldn't be spending too much time on the screen. So I kind of like some of these recommendations. Um, I kind of not like others. So this line is really crucial here. It says uh, screens themselves are not inherently bad, but they displace activities that are key to child development. And that's huge, right? Well, I think it is. Yeah. And I, I also think that it's, yeah. It really depends on how the parents um, do these things, um, you know, take, I mean, how many, first of all, I don't know how many parents read these guidelines anyway, but yeah, um, it's, it's, it is, it's up to the parents to, de- to determine what is good screen habits and, and what aren't. Hmm. Can you know, ask a question though, real- Billy, Mark? Oh, sorry, Rem- Okay. Well, you go ahead too, but I was just going to say, it's a really good question what Billy brought up. How many people even pay attention or care about yeah. these guidelines or go to this organization to get the thing? Or are we just saying, oh, I'm tired today. Here, have a screen. I know with my sister, she has uh, an eight-year-old, but I do know like he'd been on the screen ever since he was two years old, right? And she's always you know, monitored his amount of time on the screen. But I think too, you also have to consider... Um, you know, online learning when it has to happen, you know, during the pandemic and that, I mean, kids then spent a lot of time on the screen, uh, even even uh, pre-kindergarten kids and, and nursery school kids, right? Because the centers weren't open. So, yeah, I think you've got to maybe monitor your kids on the screen to somewhat. And yeah, if you're a parent, you know, I, I, I don't know that guidelines are going to fit everybody's yeah. situations. They aren't. Everybody's different. No. Yeah. Well, the hope is that, um, if you if kids are learning good screen habits, then when they go on screen for themselves, they may feel, hey, what my parents taught me is better than what I'm doing on yeah. my own. Might work, might not. Yeah. And I guess there's there's so many different angles to this. Like they're talking about yeah. the quality time that you spend with your kids. Right. The one on one time. And we know we know how much busier parents are. We know that the shift of um, our lives is not just around revolving around our screens. There are more parents working, more hours, more everything. And 
yeah, people are tired at the end of the day. People have to do other things, whatever priorities. But, at you know, this is humongous. Like that first several years really impact the way that your kids grow up and how much they're going to rely on screens because that's just what they know from being a kid. Yeah. And the, the other interesting thing is I wonder how many, I mean, do, I mean, I guess some parents know, but they may not even realize that the first, how important developing these habits are Yep. Um, because kids are Taking going an to active role in it. Yeah, that's right. There used to be questions like that, even around how much TV kids watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pretty that. much the same stuff. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's like, are know. you just going to choose that easy option or are you going to put in some work and time to make yeah. sure that other developmental phases are happening with your kids? And, and see, I think a lot of that depends on a parent's day and what a parent has to do, you know, and, and just kind of mm-hmm. how a parent's day is going. Cause I know there were times when I grew up and I don't know about you guys, but you know, where our parents would, or my parents rather would, you know, structure our time a little bit, but then there were days when they go, just go down and watch TV, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I get too. Like, I, I will say, I really understand that. Yeah, so. I do. Uh, ah, article number two, which is time, which is kind of shifting. Instead of shifting screen time, we're talking about Christmas parties, employers, venues adopting to shifting party demand. So basically this is important if you are a if you either or you're an employer or you work for a company apparently how we're holding these holiday parties of course have changed because of the pandemic apparently more and more restaurants are getting well more companies are catering their stuff in rather than going to you know going to restaurants for these holiday parties more employers are actually seeking employee input into how, you know, first of all, is it whether they want a party or not? And if they do, how do they want it? How they, how do they want this to happen? Mm-hmm. The other thing, the other thing is that restaurants are constantly phoning their contact, the, their employers to see that if you made reservations for 20 people there's always going to be some people that are going to be sick um so maybe instead of 20 you get 15 but it's interesting though and and we are at this company we're in we're we're it's uh, you know we're not going to a restaurant we used to go now we're not so i think it just proves the point that this whole holiday structuring is changing Yeah, I think that first step of uh, asking employees if they actually want parties and if they will show up if something happens. We talked about this in so many different ways, Billy, with our friends from Robert Half Canada. You know, that communication, that back and forth is so important. You do not want to assume that people either will show up or won't show up. And then, of course, there's illness. So some people won't show up anyway. But I also think for, for if, I mean, if you just got a job, a party is a good thing because you get to know you get to know your employees, and and I like the idea of going to a restaurant because it gets you out of the office. And we've also talked about this too, that mm-hmm. going to a, a central location, um, it may be for a new employee great, and I think that's important too to get out. Yeah, of course it is. 
there are people in our organizations we legit haven't even met yet. Yeah, you know, that's which is right. it is a new thing. Like that concept in itself is a new thing. Working with all these people sometimes daily and not even having met them in person. All right, yeah. Billy. Good thought to wrap up on. We'll chat with you tomorrow. Okay. Talk. Uh, yes. Okay. No, I'll be doing it. He didn't want to tease the article because he wasn't sure if it was Friday appropriate. I booked that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Billy. Bill Shackleton joining us on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays for the Buzz with Bill. Coming up next, we're talking to Brian Anderson because we want to learn about Science World, everything that they've got going on for the holidays and before that for family time. Uh, that's in Vancouver. We'll be right back with that. Now, of course, the same way that you go and check out all these great AMI audio original podcasts is the same way that you can go and check out Kelly and Company on your favorite podcast platform because we are also available over there and we're available in full show podcast as well as segment form because sometimes it's just a bit easier to share that content uh, bit by bit snippet by snippet convo by convo and if you check out the full show podcast we have some bonus content on there a vanity card as we call it today i've got one for you at the end of the show and then tomorrow margaret no i lied not margaret grant is gonna give us his i think very first vanity card so that'll be nice because we like to get here from different members of the team on that short voice clip i'm ramia umadhan here with margaret weldon and you're listening to kelly and company Okay, now I know, Ramya, I kind of laughed at you at last segment, so I guess here's your turn. It's time for our Science Center segment, where we learn about fun and fascinating exhibits from across the country. And today we're joined by Brian Anderson, the Director of Performance and Fun from Science World in Vancouver, who's going to talk about some of the events that are taking place right now. But before we do that, Brian, could you maybe talk a little bit about what your role is and maybe talk about the enjoyment you get out of that role? Oh, I'd love to. Um, I am Director of Performance and Fun Times, which kind of splits my role nice. nicely. Uh, I, I do a lot of the performance aspects. So a lot of our science center, we have uh, live demonstrations that we do in the building, that we take out to public events, we take out to schools. Uh, and this is a really great way to engage with people, um, to have an idea of actually making predictions, doing all those great science things, and then seeing the the reactions to what your predictions were. What happens if we mix this? Or what, what do you think is going to happen with this particular fireball or things that are going on? Um, I love the part of my job there where it kind of overlaps. I have a weird, nerdy collection of theater guy and science guy. So being able to put a theatrical bent to the science process is kind of a fun thing. I also really enjoy the fact that I can take science communicators, uh, people who've maybe just come out of university and are looking for ways to, to better show what they're passionate about in science and share that with other people. Mm-hmm. The bringing people yeah. together through science and fun. I love that. So what it's makes fun. science world, yeah, what makes science world uh, a fun family spot to go to this holiday season? I think the big thing is it's very much directed at your own pace. Depending what age of 
uh, family members you've got there. Uh, we've got things for under fives. We've got things for uh, seniors. We've got things for all different ages coming through and a lot of different topic areas. Uh, one of the big features we have right now is from the uh, Natural History Museum in New York, uh, T-Rex, the ultimate predator. Uh, it's first time outside of our first time appearing in Canada, and you can hear all the things about the Tyrannosaurus Rex family, if you've ever been curious about that. Uh, we have our live shows. We have a tinkering gallery where you can try building your own inventions, uh, putting things together in different ways. Uh, the Under Fives Area Wonder is just a brilliantly designed gallery that's all about the, the learning goals that you find for early childhood. So the, the kind of explorations and the, the ways that the brains are developing when you are at the, the two, three, four-year-old level. Wow, that, that's that's really yeah. quite amazing there. Yeah, and I, I love the idea of um, being able to build your own um, invention too. That was always something that fascinated me. But let's go back to the T-Rex uh, predator experience for a minute, Brian. What can yeah. people expect when it comes to, um, you know, maybe taking the exhibit in with all of their senses or maybe even some of their senses? What can people expect that? Well, what's really neat about this one, I mean, we've had previous dinosaur exhibits where we did to be the kind of classic uh, animatronic. So those ones can be a little bit loud. Uh, those ones, you'll sometimes have the moving dinosaurs. We have those in other areas of the building. What I love about what they've done with the T-Rex exhibit is it's largely visual. It's done with uh, projections. So you'll see a classic here is a dinosaur skeleton like you might see in a museum. But then the shadow of it will actually start to move. So it's not just the spotlight of it but they've got a projection there to show a little bit about how this creature would have moved in life, uh, what the different muscle joints or how we imagine that it would actually do its locomotion moving around. The other thing that I find is for, again, for visual people, there's a lot of really wonderful imagery in the T-Rex gallery uh, about the T-Rex family. So people think of the the Tyrannosaurus as being kind of the the main one there, but the Tyrannosaurus, uh, they span many, many millions of years. And so there's, there's all the cousins of the T-Rex there as well. Uh, if you like things that are a little more tactile, we have a, a dig pit. So in this, uh, there are buried fossils that you can actually use the tools of the paleontologist and uncover uh, and find your own fossils within. Oh, I love that. That is super exciting. Yeah. And of course, the the imagery and shadow casting you're talking about would make for some great audio description as well um, for people who are, yeah. are have blindness or low vision. Yeah, yeah, lots of neat things to uh, experience in different ways as they go through. Another mm. on the tactile, we've been very fortunate. The um, the Terrell Museum in Alberta loaned us one of their actual dinosaur teeth. So we have that that you can actually ask oh. one of our staff to take out. You can feel you can feel the little serrations on the edge of the tooth and know that this is a millions of year old actual dinosaur tooth. My goodness. Well, you know, we are clearly and obviously fascinated by these prehistoric um, predators and anything else. Any of these discoveries we keep finding, we're just absolutely honed in on that. Why do you think that is? I think it's a sense of something bigger than ourselves. Uh, I know for a lot of our younger visitors, they, they love the fact that there's, there's these creatures that lived many, many years ago that are bigger than mom and dad, that are, they may be scary <laughs> at first, but now they're, right. they're, they're fascinating to, to learn a little bit more about. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit of the unknown, like the fact that you find these fossils and it's, it's classic science if you're having to do some mm. detective work, like, all right, maybe I have just this bone or this bone. 
how does it come together? What, what was this creature actually like? Wow. Okay, so maybe you could tell us then, Brian, what is the Sacred Journey exhibit and what can visitors learn from this particular one? Yeah, Sacred Journey is a wonderful exhibit. We've been given the opportunity to host it. Uh, it was developed by the Helsic Nation, uh, and it's looking at the tribal canoe journey, so just kind of the, the technology, the history, the, the social aspect of Indigenous people traveling in canoes, the different types of canoes, uh, the purposes of the journeys there, and the, the learnings that came out of them. So when you come into the gallery, there's some beautiful projections again. There's some beautiful uh, audio elements. Um, they've built it quite nicely that if you move from area to area, they have uh, very focused speakers. So you're only hearing the audio in one section for the area that you're looking at. Um, the exhibit itself is kind of uh, structured around uh, the architecture looks like a giant canoe when you go through. So as you come in, there's there's projections or video displays telling more of the story, but also it's it's a quieter, it's a more reflective space. Um, it's an opportunity to just to learn more about this culture and these technologies um, without some of what we will sometimes lovingly call the pinball action of the rest of the museum, uh, where you have a lot of people running around. And and these, um, you've been very in tune to all these different needs that people might have and different ways that people experience a space like this. So if you prefer to explore exhibits in a more relaxed way, uh, can you tell us about sensory-friendly mornings at Science World? Yeah, we run these every couple of months. Uh, it's generally a Saturday morning, and we'll open the building a little bit earlier. Normally, we open to public at 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll open at 8 in the morning and just have a couple of hours where we've turned down the volume on the exhibits. We've added a little bit more light on different areas. We have um, spaces available if you just need a little bit of room to decompress. Uh, we do run some of our regular demonstration shows, but very much focused on. Um, we'll be doing some of the, the gentler, quieter kind of things there. So if, if sometimes it feels more like a too much sensory input coming in. This way you can experience the same things at Science World in a, a quieter, gentler kind of way. Are there any holiday-themed exhibits coming up, Brian? Uh, we have always very busy around winter break, uh, but nothing specifically holiday-related there. We're, we're planning extra things out on the floor and extras of our, our usual uh, things going on. Can you talk okay. about some of those usual you... things just a little bit? Or, or, or... Oh, sure. <laughs> okay. um, some of the things that we like to have out, uh, in addition to the live shows, um, we'll have uh, roving demonstrations. So they can be things like learning a bit about um, rotational motion by learning how to do a juggling trick. Like people can learn how to spin plates, little plastic plates on the end of a stick. <laughs> um, <laughs> another one that's always very popular is uh, using static electricity to uh, make pie plates lift up or make people's hair stand up on end. Um, there's an opportunity to interact with some of our uh, living ambassadors in our search gallery. We have uh, stick insects and various creatures there that from time to time the, the staff in the gallery will talk and show people a little bit more of those. But yeah, there's a explore at your own pace, but there's science. also lots of activity happening with our staff. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the static often. electricity loop rings through because all our, our cats, there are a couple of cats who live um in my building with my friend's cats and they're they 
They've become very static electric lately. I don't even know if that's the phrase, but anyways, we I don't think that they've made any pie plates stand up, but it's it's a fun thought. You never They're know. Well charged. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Do you get a lot of um students and and young kids piling in from school trips around this time or is it more quiet and and families coming in? Uh, this is the time of year where we do see a few more uh, field trips coming through, generally uh, leading up to the winter break. Uh, we get them in the morning times, and then in the afternoon, it tends to be a little bit quieter with just families. But yeah, in the morning, okay. not unusual to have three or 400 uh, students coming through on buses in, in a half hour between 9.30 and 10, and then they'll Ooh. be around till around lunchtime. The sensory-friendly morning sounding really good. <laughs> It's yeah. a quieter. So friendly is a, a much quieter than 400 students arriving at once. Yeah. Well, I yeah, can imagine exactly. that. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'm curious uh, about any um, other anticipation for exhibits. You talked about the Alberta Museum um, lending you some things. Do you have any other uh, stuff on the plate coming up soon like that where um, you're looking forward to some upcoming exhibits or any other exhibits even from the the this year in the past that you it, that sticks out to you as a highlight well it's always fun to collaborate with other museums um there's some wonderful ones across canada like uh, science north developed some wonderful traveling exhibitions uh I'm trying to think how what period about a year and a half ago we hosted an exhibit of, they had called arctic voices where it was looking at all of the uh, indigenous peoples but also the wildlife and the 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 climate science that's happening up in the arctic right now um, we have a few things in the pipeline, but I don't think I'm allowed to talk about them yet. A couple of new ones that'll be coming next year, but definitely exciting things once the T-Rexes go back to New York. Um, another one that was actually, <laughs> it's just my nerdy side, a favorite. We had a, the science of video games a few years ago. So this was classic old arcade games, um, home systems you might've used, but examining the, the technology, the, the coding, the the, I, what I really liked about it was examining the art aspect of it as well. Like we're very big on oh, yes. uh, science, technology, engineering, but art and design as well. The A in STEAM is a big part of what we try to do. Wow. Brian, you know what? We can tell you're so excited about your work. We uh, wish you lots of luck for the upcoming future. <laughs> and, and, thank uh, you so much. Thank you for your time. In the title. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. Okay. Thank you. That was Brian Anderson, the Director of Performance and Fun at Science World in Vancouver. We got to get out there more often. And uh, that's all I can yeah. say about that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love the all kinds of interactive elements in uh, all the different ways. And what I love is more than one way to try something out, which is really, yes. really fun for science and for learning. We have our weekly roundtable conversation coming up after the break. And Karen McGee, our content development specialist for Eastern Ontario and Quebec, will obviously double check that with her when she gets here. But anyways, that's how we know her as we'll be with her after the break. <laughs> coming in after the break and we already have to settle something i 
don't know what comes up on the roundtable when Kelly picks the conversation topics. Okay, Margaret? Okay, I believe you. I don't. All right. I believe you. <laughs> it's just the same way. Okay. That you won't know if uh, I pick them. It's okay. I'm just giving we you the like gears. To keep some traditions going. There are a lot yeah. of changes that happen on this show, on this network, in the world. Something well, that's not one of them. Yeah, remain. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not one of them. The roundtable okay. stays secret. Okay. Even if the that's check right. were in the mail for you. Yeah. Even if the check were in the when, mail. Well, money talks, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Money <laughs> not <talks>. today. <laughs> money can talk right. pretty loudly. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, every Thursday, we have this roundtable conversation. It's hosted by whoever's hosting the show. Today, it's me. And it's an open conversation on a variety of subjects, handpicked by moi, except when it's Kelly. And today, along with Margaret Weldon, who's joining us as a guest on the roundtable, is AMI content development specialist in, I'm saying, Eastern Ontario and Quebec. You can tell me if that's correct, Karen. Karen McGee it's is joining us. all of us. Ontario and Quebec, please. All? Oh, oh gosh. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's why I'm in we Toronto so much. That's why I'm in Toronto That's so true, much. Yeah. That's very true. You are in Toronto. All the, in a good way. <laughs> but yeah. yeah okay. Do you know about this? This whole uh, background on us triple checking with all the content development specialists on who's who and who represents what? No. Do you want us Kelly to swap it around on you though? Do you want us to swap no. you around on it though? I'm happy no, we're to just, you we're, Mm-mm. We're finally getting to know what you guys really do, and so don't do that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. But also, also, you can. Um, Kelly started this uh, with Jim, so yeah. Oh, but it's here, always guys, back to some... Jim. It's always Jim's fault. It. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Wow, I'm learning so much today. So there's a couple things that I wanted to bring up today. Um, we'll start with some more serious stuff. The federal government is asking a federal court judge to review some parts of a $40 billion settlement over discrimination in the Indigenous child welfare system. But three federal cabinet ministers, including um, Indigenous Services Minister Patty Hadou, say a review would not impede work with the parties to determine how to distribute compensation to children and families in areas of agreement. This is a historic agreement in that it is uh, an agreement that represents uh, huge sums of money, indeed $40 billion, $20 billion for compensation. But not only that, it is an agreement that has been led by Indigenous people and designed by Indigenous people. And so we'll continue, as I said, to work with the parties. Um, Our first priority is to ensure compensation can unfold quickly. Okay, so the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal rejected the deal in late October, throwing the settlement into question. So, first of all, let's talk about compensation for a second. Um, I think it's one of the oldest questions in the book. Is compensation real? Like, does it matter? Does it work? Does it feel like something for the people who are affected? Or is it just throwing money at whatever it is, the issue, and saying, okay, we we dealt with it. Uh, So, you know, the question of does it really make a difference for the people being compensated and are we taking it seriously, especially now in this lens of or through this lens of truth and reconciliation for our Indigenous communities in Canada? Karen, any first thoughts? Um, my first thought is, boy, all my history lessons were really wrong when I was a kid. That's always my first thought when we talk about this. Yes. Yeah. Um, this has been going on a long time. 
And the more that people learn, I think the more horrified a lot of people are about what really happened as part of our Canadian history. And this was designed by Indigenous people and developed by, you know, the, the, the compensation package. Um, and I just wish that people, the government, uh, the monarchy would just come out and maybe verbally apologize a little bit more. On, I mean, the money's one thing and, you know, you just can't throw money at a problem and go away. But learning and educating ourselves about what happened and and it's just everything. This, this topic always makes me so uncomfortable because I feel so bad. Like everything I learned in yep. school feels like a lie. I don't know if that answers your question, but verbal apologies no, and go a long it, way too. Exactly, right? And that's what I'm trying to get at. So these things that some people, like if we were going to... Uh, hear what everybody has to say about this there are people who genuinely believe that this is not fixing the problem and i stand by that as well i don't think anything is going to fix the problem per se but a while ago on the roundtable i brought up this conversation about a man who was wrongly handcuffed accused arrested in front of his little granddaughter um and these these two individuals are of indigenous background and then the police officers didn't show up for the hearing and they didn't show up for the ceremony that this person was holding um, to to heal, right? Like this healing ceremony, this kind of uh, apology slash let's bring it full circle and deal with this. And when the officer didn't show up and when the, the whole thing was not supported by the police force, um, this person talked about that and how sad it was and how hard it will be to move on from this wrongful accusation and handcuffing because it just we need to heal and I think that that's a big part of it so as you said Karen and as mentioned in the clip the uh, program was created by people from indigenous communities so Margaret does that weigh in big for you that the compensation program was developed by people of indigenous background all right, I'm going to approach this in just a little bit of a different way because I have heard from two different um, Indigenous families. And the one group has said that, you know what, the, the compensation, I, I guess, is a way to make the men's, you know, however, we do wish there was more apology coming out. And the other group has said, it's like they're trying to buy us off. And, 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 you know, without, and never mind acknowledging and never mind this and that it's like, they're trying to buy us off. So for me, I don't really know what to feel like. I kind of feel like Karen does in the sense that it is uncomfortable. It's, it's nothing that we have gone through. And I, I don't know that there's any right or wrong answer here. I, I really, I really don't. I, I, no. you, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, and then the one family too, that said, you know, they're trying to buy us off, you know, also said, but it's the higher ups in the tribe that's going to get all the money anyway. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's mm. right or it's wrong. I, I do wish there was more apology given. I wish there was more acknowledgement given. That's about as far yeah. as I can go with that. Yep. And that that's a whole different problem that you just brought up as well. Okay, well, the compensation, agreeing and disagreeing on it is one thing. But if it goes through, then what's the next part of it? you know, where does that money trickle down to and who gets it and do we get enough of it? And uh, do the next generations of people get some, what does this money actually represent? Exactly. All the above. Um, let's move on to something else here. And thank you for both for your thoughts on that one. The Bank of Canada, there's a lot going on with inflation and Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem says government's looking to provide inf inflect inflection, <laughs> inflation relief 
to Canadians should choose measures that are well-targeted and temporary. At a House of Commons committee meeting, Macklem warned against broad measures that could work against the Bank of Canada's efforts to climb down on high inflation. You know, the danger of um, you know, very widespread uh, measures is, it, it, you know, the price system works um, and you got to you got to let it work. That's part of, uh, you know, that's part of getting inflation back down. So you don't want to you don't want monetary and fiscal policy to work at cross purposes. The Bank of Canada has been progressively raising interest this year in the wake of inflation, reaching the highest levels it's seen in four decades. Uh, that's pretty huge in and of itself. So inflation is this heavy word with all kinds of repercussions and implications. Um, we are experiencing it in many ways, like the the examples are things like buying groceries and selling and buying real estate and understanding our income, supporting families and raising kids, healthcare, access needs, et cetera, et cetera. The, the list goes on, right? And how we're feeling inflation. But does the Bank of Canada's way of dealing with inflation, this is a real basic question, by raising the interest rates, does it make sense for you and I individually? Does it make sense to say, yeah, we know it's going to be tough for the next several years. We know that things need to balance out and this is the way that they're feeling about it and dealing with it. Does that make sense, Margaret? No, no, it doesn't. As far as I'm concerned, and and I, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's greed is what it is. Sure. Yes. Maybe you've got to raise the interest rates a little bit to calm inflation down, but I think the rate he's going, and I mean, he still uh, wants to continue raising interest rates. That was last night. And yet, you know, you hear about all of these surveys right now. And I guess the one that I heard about yesterday was where uh, 75% of the people that were surveyed in Canada said they've had to make negatively drastic changes to their situations, whether it become homeless, whether they can't put food on the table anymore. I mean, there has to be sort of a a happy medium here, guys. And that's, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't agree with this keeping raising interest rates. Karen, your thoughts? So, I mean, I renewed my mortgage six months early because I, the interest rates were starting to scare me. Um, mm-hmm. and paid the, paid the fees to do that because the fees that I was paying to renew early were less than what the interest rate were going to cost me over the long run. That being said, it's great. That, I mean, I, 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 see, I, I see what they're trying to do. However, can we go to the fact that all these big companies that are raising the prices on things like the $2 more for butter that I'm paying this year than I was last year per pound of butter, it's yep. $2 more. These, the companies are making more profits and do they need to be making this this amount of profit during a time of inflation can the companies maybe make a little less money like do they need to make billions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about like you know everybody gets an equal share type thing but it's more maybe they could talk to some of these people who are making all the extra money and do something that way get the get the companies to pay their employees more. Like there's no need that companies yeah. need, need to make millions and billions of dollars and go out and buy things like Twitter. I'm looking at you, Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for the call out. <laughs> I'm still bitter. I'm still bitter. I have to have Starlink. Um, but yeah, no, the interest rate thing can be scary for the middle income person and the lower income person because that's who it hit. It doesn't seem to hit the higher income people yep. very much. 
Which is and why I, this whole thing is ironic, right? Because he's he's saying, okay, if you're going to help, be be warned, be aware, and make sure it's temporary. But what, look, look at who you're talking to. You're talking to that low-income, middle-income person, the people who you said, uh, Margaret, had to make these drastic sacrifices just to be able to keep living. Well, that's right. You know, and it's not just the living, but I mean, even just to put simple things like coffee, tea, or, you know, or simple food on the table. And okay, mm-hmm. I, I know there was a grocery store chain that at the beginning of uh, this month, actually at the end of last month, beginning of this month, talked about how they were, you know, going to, I don't know if it was going to freeze their prices until some point in 2023, but I don't know how much I believe that either. So can I yeah. mention that? If that is where I was talking, I get my butter from that chain store. I like to wear the, that's the grocery store in town. We have one grocery store in town. And before about a month before that announcement was when the price of the no name butter went from 4.99 to 6.99 and mm-hmm. then they froze their prices so they bumped everything up first yep i'm i'm not trying to be a negative nancy or anything but i just it that sort of stuff seems to just be smoke and mirrors bump yeah, everything like, up yeah, no. it, and then i'm going to freeze it and, and, and you know what the thing tell, is? I buy a lot of butter. <laughs> well, uh, that's what I was just going to actually say, that we're not in a place where we could be nice about it, where we could be half glass full, because this is on top of every other thing that people have been experiencing, right? Every other thing with the pandemic and with the losses and with the years of isolation and, uh, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for whatever, food, livelihood, quality, anything. And so now on top of that, they're like, oh, by the way, inflation is going to take decades to get back on track. Pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. But um, we're not going to end it on that note. So let's talk about something else going on. Here's uh, one kind of problem that's going on in the world. Two members of the band Journey are going to court over a credit card. Journey keyboardist Jonathan Kane wants guitarist Neil Sean to stop using the band's Amex card. Sean has filed a lawsuit against Kane involving the company they co-own, Nomoda. Sean says he's been denied access to the credit card and its records. Kane says Sean has been running up enormous personal charges to fund his, quote, extravagant lifestyle. The two have been going back and forth in statements, accusing each other of mismanaging company money. All this while they have a four-month tour together kicking off in January. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. That's going to be an awkward tour. Definitely going to be awkward. Sounds um, like a Judge Judy show for me. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Took the words right off my page. Yes, like, sorry. you know when you watch Divorce Court or Judge Judy and you see these cases and you're like, come on, guys, couldn't you have handled this at home? This is really embarrassing for you in public. That's the kind of reaction I'm having to this. How about you guys? Definitely. Well, I'm just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, uh, why are people like this? First of all, don't steal money from your work, which their job is company the credit card. Jeez. Like, don't do that. And like, take don't you don't have to like taking it to court. Oh, just figure it out, guys. You yeah. got accountants. Just take money out of his paycheck to pay it back, or fire him. Like, if he's stealing from the band, <laughs> fire him. This is, this is too much Fleetwood Hot Mac vibe. With Karen McGee. This is too much Fleetwood yeah. Mac vibe. All the wife swapping. Sorry. And here's okay. the thing, right? Because it is a company. It is their job, and they're stuck together on this tour now, which they're going to make money off of. So I don't think anyone's going to be bowing down out of that one. And so I'm, I'm. The thing is, though, when celeb, when these happen, 
these kind of situations happen to celebrities, it's now a big hit. Like it's it's a reality show thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta wonder how much of it is real. Like how much of this is real and how much of it is scripted. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they are fighting over the credit card, but well, they're going is, to is court. there a reality show being done in the tour? I you know I now have to look that up now. I I hope so. I, think doing... I mean, it's juicy. If you're a super fan of Journey, you're going to be following this for a while. You going to pick sides, Karen? Yeah. Do you have sides? Do I have sides in Journey? I just like their songs. I'm old. Like this is you know, <laughs> I I once played one of their songs in a piano recital. I played Open Arms. I'm okay. Um, I'm, I'm looking what? up right now. Journey. <laughs> Band documentary or journey band reality show. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves while I look this up. You had to say credit card. I think it was. Well, maybe if there show. isn't um, one, Karen, maybe you want to get one going. Maybe that's the next step for you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'll put in a pitch to. Uh, I'll put in the pitch. Nothing is coming up, but it's just. Yeah, they're saying it's lies. It's in the and works. The credit card was lost. If they go to trial, if they can't dispute this out and they go to trial, there got to be a documentary, at I'll least a mini one on YouTube. Karen, I, yeah, there's a pitch you. coming your way. Yeah, that's thank right. You. <laughs> thank you. Karen, awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the roundtable. This is my Hot first roundtable. Really enjoyed it. Let me know. <gasps> Leave me again. What? Yeah. Wow. I was starting I'm to take it, it was with me then. <laughs> no, we love you. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. guys. Karen McGee, Bye. content development specialist in all of Ontario and Quebec. For AMI, joining us on the roundtable along with myself and Margaret Weldon. Taking a break and wrapping up the show after this on Kelly and Company. Wrapping up Kelly and Company here. Thanks for joining us. If you were here since 2 p.m., then that's great. We're almost at the end of the show, and we've had tons and tons for you to uh, reflect on and then maybe share some of that content with your friends and family and network. But if you weren't here, no problem. No offense taken. You can check us out on our first repeat at 10 p.m. Eastern time and then again at 6 a.m. Eastern. You see, because that was the top of the hour, I could do the math, but... Earlier when I was talking about a 1.30 situation, mm, can't do that. Uh, so if you check out our repeats, then you're good on AMI-audio. You can also go to your favorite podcast platform and find us there by searching for Kelly and Company. All right, Margaret, you were co-hosting with me today. We had tons of fun. Do you want to shout out a conversation we had that people can check out on a, a uh, podcast? Oh, my. You know, it kind of comes down between. Yeah, I know. I know. It kind of comes down <laughs> between between the, the round table. But I think the one that I really enjoyed today actually was uh, segment six with that science center segment. They have yes. a lot of fascinating Brian. things there. Yes. Yeah. With Brian. Anderson. Brian talked about science world in Vancouver. Uh, and we we honestly did get through a lot because he talked about current exhibits, some past exhibits, things that are going on for uh, sensory friendly adventures. Uh, all kinds of stuff. I like the way he even just, you know, like you could hear the enjoyment in his voice, you know, like right from the beginning yeah. of the segment. You could tell he was proud of the job. Uh, you could tell that he has a lot of fun on a on a Absolutely. regular basis. Yeah. Also talking to uh, Krishna Washburn earlier on in the show, we we barely got to the kinds of things that we could have talked about today uh, but she is talking about darkroom ballet and this is a virtual program that she runs as an instructor 
um, for beginners uh, who have low vision or blindness. And you can learn ballet, not as an adapted dance form, just learn ballet as a blind person. And there's so many specific examples and techniques she gave on that concept alone. And I thought it was a very fascinating conversation. So you might hear me talk more about this tomorrow on Cut for Time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. All right, let's talk about Now with Dave Brown. That you can catch at 9 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow morning, Friday on AMI-tv. Alex Smythe is hosting this week, and Paul Daniel, one of the producers, is here to give a preview. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ronnie. And by the way, I'm impressed by your mathematical skills. Well done. (laughs) Call me on a good day. I do, yeah, well, you know, you, you, you're eating all your veggies. Uh, tomorrow's show, the Friday news panel with Joita Gupta from the Pulse and journalist Michelle McQuig. Join Alex Smythe to discuss some of the big issues of the week. And we've had quite a week, so we'll be discussing, not surprisingly, the uh, revelations from the Emergencies Act inquiry that's winding up at six weeks of hearings this week. And also two new proposed amendments to the country's gun laws have stirred up controversy. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will tell us more about a documentary called Stutz, currently streaming on Netflix, about leading psychiatrist Phil Stutz and his unique visual model of therapy. And Karen McGee, our content development specialist, will deliver the Central Regional Report. Interesting. A visual model of therapy. Mm. Curious about that. I don't know what that implies. It, but it, it sounds <laughs> the, the, he uses he uses puppets. I don't know. I'm just guessing. You know. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, gosh! Oh, we're just creating things. Okay, all right. Okay, never mind. Scratch My that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out the real version of this tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. Thank you, Paul. Take care. <laughs> giving us false information out here. It's all good. You can uh, check out Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning on AMI-tv. They have a podcast as well. Margaret, thank you for joining me today. We'll see you back tomorrow at 2 p.m. And the proper math was 1.30 and 9.30. Thanks. Have a good night, Oh, gosh. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it that I can outsource these math equations to other people (laughs) on the friday edition of kelly and company we are talking about the end of an era because facebook is taking off your religion information your address your politics fields off your user profiles well that's exciting isn't it we'll see how it goes uh and that's with john beeler on the app update also we're talking about some new live theater offerings from vocali in vancouver sylvie Fiquette is going to give us all of that information plus we have lifestyle as we usually do with grant hardy tomorrow and we have our audiobook conversation on the chatty bookshelf with ryan Huey. join us back tomorrow at 2 p.m eastern time and until then have a good thursday night When we can get one day from this cold season, from gearing up and preparing to be cold every day and make sure you have your boots ready and make sure that you have your hats and your gloves and your winter coat out and all that stuff that goes into going out during the winter. During that time, sometimes we get one day that feels 
amazing. It's just a couple degrees warmer, and even though it's cloudy, it feels good because. Maybe you can leave your hat at home. Maybe you can wear the lighter jacket. Maybe you don't have to layer hoodie upon hoodie upon hoodie under your your top layer so that you can be warm and toasty. Yeah, and that tiny bit of difference makes a huge change. And I can definitely tell people are in good moods today because it's above zero. Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.